What's up, everybody? It's Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I am J.D. Bunkus from my abode in the city of Toronto, down in High Park. He is Donovan Bennett. He is also at his home, social distancing, I hope. Where are you at right now? What part of your house do you do the business in? I am in my bedroom, hoping that my son in the room next door doesn't wake up and ruin this podcast. Oh, man. You know, though, you could be the first person who goes viral. I was actually talking about this today not to name drop or anything, but with Rich Eisen about how no sports media figure yet has had the, I'm doing the hit from home. Here comes my family member into the office ruining the hit. Do you remember a couple of years ago, there was those two little toddlers that stumbled into that. I think it was a CNN correspondent who was doing a video chat from his home office. And of course the kids go viral because the mom is like ducking in there and trying to get the kids out and they're dancing. I do remember that. It was amazing, the look of panic on everyone's face other than the kids. Right. It's an awesome video. So maybe that can be a thing that you do. We Everybody needs content. Maybe you actually just let your boy cry and pause the scene. Well, I don't know if you were on our Rogers Digital Sports Media Town Hall yesterday where our president, Jordan Banks, was talking to the other leaders and the rest of the company via what I assume was Zoom. And towards the end, his five-year-old son just walks in and like sits on his lap and is like smiling for the camera. And the chat just went crazy. Like if anyone was willing to take a pay cut before, they certainly were now. The kid was a big star. So I don't know if it was planned or impromptu, but I think dogs and kids, there's no beefs if they make an impromptu appearance on live hits. People are just here for anything that'll make them smile at this point. I actually thought about getting a dog because I'm lonely right now. At least you've got your family. Although I don't know how that is. Let me just start with that. I haven't talked to you in a while, man. And I actually want to know how you're doing. I took a couple of weeks off the show. My mom was traveling back from Spain and it was this like really weird ordeal trying to get her out of there with canceled flights and trying to follow along with government and trying to figure out with Spanish government. Like it got pretty hairy at some moments. Obviously it was right during the middle of the breakout in Spain. She's healthy. She was tested after some mild symptoms, but it all came back clear. Everything's hunky dory on this end. But yeah, I took some time away from the podcast while all this got sorted. How's things been going with you just in general? Like, how are you coping with this? I've been social distancing since like 2013. So <laughs> this is just another week for me. I say that in jest, but I'm one of the few fortunate ones where I, a lot of what I do, I can do from home. I didn't podcast from home, but obviously as people have heard, everyone's podcasting from home now. I often wrote from home. And so it hasn't, changed my work life as much as many other people. And for now, we have an industry where there still is some work. And luckily, you know, I wasn't necessarily covering live events, which don't exist. And so it hasn't changed things in that sense. And the family is good, healthy, most importantly, but got a, as I mentioned, young son who is 11 months and he has no idea. I mean, one, he like barely has any idea like that he himself is a person and he has no rational thoughts in his brain, but he has no idea that politicians are saying this or that, or people are losing their jobs and, and having real 
tough hardship. So from that standpoint, it's super refreshing to just yeah. look down at him and he's like literally the exact same. The toughest is on my wife because anyone who's had Matt leave knows that like you get through it via the community. You get through it from play dates and other mom groups and family get togethers and all of those things don't exist right now. So in the like fourth quarter of her mat leave, that's been difficult. But my real learnings throughout this was just how tough it is for anyone who is doing a paternity leave or doing a mat leave. It's a beast. And so when people who are homemakers say like, oh yeah, my job, my occupation is to take care of the home. People are like, okay, sure. But like, you don't work out of the home. You don't get those pressures. And I think that's like something that was more the case maybe like 20, 15 years ago when we had a role for what women did and they were domesticated and the man was the, the breadwinner. And obviously that's changed quite a bit, but Anyone who either is a homemaker or who's making that choice for their family during mat leaves, like it's not like you're just on vacation. It is work. So I'm lucky that I'm able to do my actual work from home. And I'm actually lucky that this experience has given me some more family time, but a better appreciation of what it is, you know, my wife was doing for these 10 and a half months while I was working and my life didn't really change that much. Yeah, that's awesome. Listen, there's a lot of challenges and you mentioned it. You and I have it so much easier than so many people right now. Like we're deemed a quote unquote essential service in terms of we like media continues to run. But if there was anything in terms of the spectrum of the least essential service, it would probably be sports talk radio or sports talk in general, especially in a reality where there's no sports. There's all these frontline workers that are either stocking shelves in grocery stores or collecting your garbage so that it doesn't pile up in the streets or being volunteers at hospital, people who are doctors, nurses, all these incredibly courageous people who continue to go about their day-to-day lives and have to actually be out there and living this way. It's, it's tough. And what you're doing right now in terms of, yeah, realizing some of the stuff that are, is around your house, I think that's kind of the way I'm trying to spin this thing. Things suck, but as I was saying, they don't suck as much for me as other people. Like I have to hang out on my couch a little bit more and not go see friends for a little while. All right, fine. I'll be okay in this. It's not the world's biggest challenge. Just, you know, if this is the challenge of our generation, we've all lived a pretty good life. But yeah, I'm, I really am trying to focus on things that I was either neglecting or things I didn't appreciate or things I can get better at. And yeah, it's the only way I think that a lot of people can maybe get through this or can be distracted by this, that this actually does offer this strange opportunity reset in some ways or recalibrate some of the ways that you were thinking and some of the things that you were doing. And yeah, I don't know, for me, it's been trying to be healthy and just kind of realizing how temporary all this is and how easy things can fall apart and making sure that health is so important. And I think I'd been neglecting diet and exercise for a little while. And now I've been kind of back on that hobby horse. And I'm trying to use this time to find something to get better at, because I just think it's too easy right now to put your head in your hands read the news, feel overwhelmed, and kind of just let it be too much. Yeah. In general, I kind of like to try and attack the hurdles, right? Like whatever could theoretically be a hurdle, figure out a way how really like, let's embrace it. Let's lean all in and kind of, as Norm Powell would say, understand the grind. So for me, in a way, the first you know week or two weeks, people were just stir crazy and like, okay, like how long is this going to last? I think now we're all 
getting comfortable that this is going to be a while. So we're going to have to make the best of it. And I think in a way, God has just given us all like a sabbatical, like figure out your lives, figure out what's important. So I'm looking at this, like, this is an opportunity for me to get in more exercise and go on more runs with no excuse. So I'm going to be the Mo Farah of Etobicoke and getting the kilometers in. But that's the case for some people like me. I will say privileged food, that's a benefit. But if you're worried about, okay, am I going to get this EI check for the government? Do I even qualify? Do I have to become my own accountant right now to figure out how I make this work? Or if it's the case for someone who is an infectious disease specialist and they're up 20 hours of the 24 hours in a day, or they're the person who's working at a grocery store, wiping down the carts to keep us safe. Both of those roles really, really matter and are going to save lives. And so I do want to encourage people to use this time, however long it is, to be really productive and really evaluate what's important in your life. But I also want people to remember that if you have that option, it's a blessing because there's a lot of people who are working so hard right now and they don't have an option to think about anything else other than their current circumstance. Well, yeah, you and I are recording this podcast on April 3rd and as of today, or maybe it was as of yesterday, I should say 10% of our cases in Ontario were medical professionals. It's like frontline workers who are risking it the most and who don't have enough personal protective equipment and they're still trying to find creative ways to continue to do their jobs. And yeah, it's just, I hope that we're going to talk about sports and some fallouts to the world of sport in a few seconds here, but I really do hope that the biggest byproduct of all of this is that we all have this shared experience. You know, one of the things I love about sports is that it doesn't take a translation to be able to watch it. You don't need to be able to speak the same language. You don't have to be nearly the same age. You can have an opinion on it. You can communicate it. You can watch it. You can have this shared experience without knowing somebody and it bonds you with someone. And I think that's the true power of sport. That's the stuff when, even when we had the campaign, you know, sports that unite us, I, I do believe in that. It's, it's part of the reason that I chose this career is I love connecting with people and I love the power that sport can connect us and make us, yeah, look at somebody a little bit differently. And my hope is, is that in a world that's kind of felt like less and less connected and people are specialists and there's actually going to be something where we've all been through something together and we all come out of the other side of the tunnel and think, okay, cool. We have a little bit more of appreciation for things that matter. We all want to be a little bit kinder to one another. We're all a little bit more sensitive to the struggles that everyone goes through. We're all a little bit more appreciative of the day-to-day -day services that we sort of take for granted. Like you mentioned, people who wipe down a shopping cart. I don't think that that's something that most people have ever taken into consideration. Maybe we'll be more appreciative of things and just have this one thing that connects us. And that's maybe a little grandiose, but I think it's possible. Okay, so sports-wise, you said it. You don't cover live events. Neither do I. Are you not missing that part of your routine? Like, what are you missing the most right now when it comes to just not having sport? Has there been maybe, yeah, a bit of a reset for you in that regard of how you write or how you cover sports? There's not really sports to cover right now. I mean, I, right. when I say I don't cover live events in the sense I wasn't a beat reporter for any specific team. I wasn't writing gamers. I, I wasn't a freelancer, uh, you know, doing photography on a game. Like there's a big part of our industry, right? Production and the broadcasting of live events and then the covering that just 
doesn't exist right now. And I did not fall in that category. I certainly attended games and did, you know, stories often and went to capture sound or bureau or whatnot, but that wasn't chief among the list of things that I did. So that's what I meant in terms of not covering something that for the foreseeable future does and will not exist. A couple weeks ago, at the beginning of March, when all this went down, you know, the, the crazy Wednesday night in the NBA, and then the next you know Thursday when we just didn't have games, cold turkey, out of habit, I would reach and grab my phone and open up my Sportsnet app to look for scores that obviously weren't there because there were no games. And I would just continue to do it just out of a force of habit, out, out of my nature. And so that was the cold turkey part where I was like, oh my goodness, like, okay, I, I, I've been doing this for my entire adult life. As long as I can remember, my life was set to sports times, seven o'clock, seven thirty, Eastern games, 10, 1030 West coast games, no matter what time of year you knew it was going to be baseball, basketball, hockey, whatnot. And obviously, you know, during football season, you'd have games on the weekends. And so that was just gone. And so that part was weird. And now I'm, I guess I'm through that period. And there isn't the void in the sense of, okay, what am I going to do at 7 or 7.30? Because there is so much good content still between streaming platforms and stuff on traditional cable that I still feel behind on all the series that people are talking about and consuming. And I actually think as this goes longer and longer and longer, the way we evaluate how we spend our disposable time is going to be different. The sports model was based off of one that was pre-Netflix. It was really pre the explosion of of cable uh, select channels, right? Like we have like 500, 600 channels that we have access to if we want. And that's not even including, you know, on-demand options. The sports model was giving you something you could watch on TV in between the news, between the six o'clock news and the, the 10 and 11 o'clock news. If you really think about it, we don't consume that way. And so when everyone's analyzing well people are cutting the cord and maybe that's why the ratings are down and whatnot i think this is going to open people's eyes to the fact that we haven't changed our model in terms of how many games we play how many we telecast why people should care the only real model that still stands the test of time in terms of viewership is the nfl and i would actually say soccer in the premier league and they're giving you games once maybe in soccer twice a week that's it and so I do actually think that when we come out of this, we're going to have to recalibrate. Are 19 and a half people really going to want to chill in a stadium 82 nights a year? Are 20,000 people really going to want to watch baseball uh, 162 nights a year in a stadium? Are we going to get millions of people tuning in, appointment viewing at 7, 7.30, 8, 10, 10.30? I think this has shown that we have habits in terms of we want to talk about the sports I mean, and people are still engaged in listening to your show and having conversations online but i don't know if we're going to miss watching game 33 of the regular season as much as we think that's just my take no that's that's a, it's actually a really interesting perspective because you get in your echo chambers right you have your social circles and a lot of times in our industry a lot of people you know 
are sports fans, right? It's a way that you've either established bonds with people, it's coworkers, it's whatever. And you also have a social media following or you follow people on social media that, of course, you know, you end up following news sites, but I follow a lot of people who are in sports media, obviously. And so the effect on them has been they're desperate for sports to come back because it creates certainty for their jobs, their future. And it's also the thing that they've, one of the things they've been most passionate in their lives. That's why they've pursued this. And so to not have it, it's like, yeah, it's been a massive disruption to their lives. What I haven't really considered is, yeah, large portions of the audience, especially younger audiences who will, I would assume, again, I don't have kids and I I don't really know any teenagers, but I would assume that, yeah, kids are going to be all online at the same time, all playing video games with one another, that this is going to be a boon for for video games that, yeah, you're going to be on your iPod. There's no sports to watch. There's basically the highlight of the next month is going to be the the Michael Jordan documentary that runs on ESPN, the the last dance which I'm incredibly excited for. But yeah, it's there's just not going to be a lot of content. I think it's going to have to force industries like our own into some changes. I don't think it'll be drastic in in some ways. Like you mentioned, I think NFL coverage is going to be fine, just fine. We're going to see an NFL draft that'll probably be the most popular thing on television by a significant margin for quite some time. But yeah, people's habits change quickly. Like you forget about stuff very, very fast. And yeah, you might establish a new routine. You might lose out on some stuff. You might not consume things the same way. And yeah, it's going to be a, a lot for leagues. And that actually, that's that's a nice way to bring into this is you did the Raptors Rewind watch party the other night with Faisal Kamisa and Daniel Michaud. And you guys had a ton of guests. It was awesome. It was a really, really well done. I loved it. I thought it was a really creative thing. I think it's something that companies like ours are going to only do more of, which is have personalities, stream games, and be dropped in by guests like you guys said, the Junkyard Dog, Leo Routens. I know you had Alvin Williams, who also blew up on Twitter that night because of Vince Carter fake autograph that was out there. But what have you made of rewatching Raptors games? Because they've been airing on the two main networks. I've been doing a podcast after every single one of these games, which if you're interested is on Good Show's podcast feed. It's called Raptors Rerun. Has anything watching these games changed for you in terms of the way that you view either breaking down games or or content in this medium in general? I think the re-watch parties or the just watch parties in general will become a staple moving forward. I, it's something that I talked to our then president of Sportsnet, Scott Moore, about like a couple postseasons ago about something that we should do. And the fear at the time was, well, you just don't want to cannibalize the broadcast and that's certainly a consideration but i I don't think if anyone wants to listen to jack or leo or devlin they're not going to not do it to listen to Faisal and myself and jyd and michelle you're going to be doing it for another audience so i I think it can only add it it can't take away but i think it's more about events like tentpole events a draft for example a after show after a uh, anticipated documentary like um you know the last dance happens the home run derby or the dunk contest like i think it's about a a game seven like i don't think you're gonna do that again 82 times a year but i also think that they'll have more impact for live events because we're doing it now for classic games and raptors rewinds because those are augmenting as live events for the time being, but they'll have more impact for live events because it, it won't have to be conversation the entire time. The conversation will be about the game and also the interaction we can see in real time, how people 
are interacting with Nick Nurse calling a late timeout and, you know, people being unsure if that was the case or, you know, KD um, tearing his Achilles and Drake, you know, losing it on the sidelines because he felt so bad. Like we having people's in the moment reactions, it would be interesting to, to see and watch, seeing their facial expressions as that happened and having us interact with people commenting and vice versa. So I think that that is going to move forward. And speaking of things change, if you are a ENG shooter who was shooting double enders, um, I don't know how many of those you're going to do anymore because we have just seen that people don't care if you're on Skype or on Zoom. Uh, if it's lit halfway decent and you got a bookshelf behind you full of books, we'll take the information. Like we, we just don't care that much. I mean, Tim and Sid credit to those guys. Cause they've been ahead of the curve in that sense where it's like, no, we don't have to have a, a live feed everywhere to have a guest. We can just get them via their computer. I mean, Kenny Smith at the time is holding up a phone and people don't care because they like Kenny Smith. I want to hear what he has to say. So I think in, in terms of our industry, things will change. The other thing I noticed in terms of these, these classic games that were, rewatching is that i don't remember the vast majority of things that happened in these games which yes. lets me know that the vast majority of things that happened in these games didn't really matter ultimately like oh. we we we, we rewatched the shot to see the shot and to see and when i say the shot i'm talking about game seven of the eastern conference semifinals raptors philly which we aired on saturday but i saw oh interesting this was like a dog of a game for most of it. It was super defensive. It was like 1990s basketball. And, oh, that's cool. There's Jordan Lloyd. There's Eric Moreland. Forgot about them already. Hey, good to see you on the bench. But most of what happened, I didn't care about. And that's an iconic game that the Raptors won. So never mind the games that they ended up losing by four. There's a lot of minutiae there that at the time seems like it really, really, really matters. And ultimately, we move on and we, we, we forget and we don't retain any of those informations. The, the analogy I would make is like, you know, when you're in high school or in elementary school, everything seems like it's the biggest deal in the world. Like it's, the, it's earth shattering. I remember I was talking on the phone to a girl uh, when I was like in grade six or seven. And this is when like we didn't have our own cell phones you had to use your house line to talk to anybody never mind gotta charge the cordless man um yeah if you if you had a cordless yeah for sure and this is and this is like and i'm a bit older so not only did you have a house line sometimes you had a fax line and if the fax machine was going you can use the house line and vice versa or like the internet modem would get messed up but anyways so everyone in the house needed the phone you know there was a pecking order so i was on the phone you know i was trying to talk some lyrics and um, my mom's like, I need the phone. Like, will you wrap it up, B? Like, you got a couple minutes. Oh, okay, okay. And it comes back in the room. A couple. I need the phone. Like, whatever. And I'm like, you know, brushing it off, just trying to extend the play. And she picked up one of the other phones in the house on the same line, and she said, DJ, it's uh, it's time for your bubble bath now. You need to get off the phone. And any sort of cred that I thought I had was immediately lost. And so I tell you that very random story from. 20 some odd years ago to say that at the time it seemed like my life was over like it was the biggest deal ever and ultimately like clearly i'm fine i'm okay i'm telling canada about it you remember though you remember though 
I do remember, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, my mom probably doesn't remember. I don't yeah. know if that girl remembers, but so much stuff happens in these games and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. But what we remember are the four, five, six plays, forget in the game, over the course of a playoffs that really mm-hmm. mattered. I remember Fred hitting the three and screaming. I remember Surge randomly taking a step back three. I remember Iguodala hitting a clutch three at the end. But there's a bunch of stuff that happened in the finals that I don't remember because ultimately none of it mattered. Yeah, I've actually kind of been the opposite when it comes to importance of things. Like clearly the the biggest moments in games, those are what stick out to us. But we're just not LeBron James. We're not supercomputers with these incredible recall abilities that can look back at a game and remember where somebody was on the floor at a certain time or what all the lineups were or what all the underlying stories of the game were. One of my biggest joys in rewatching this Raptors run has been all the things that I've forgotten. And I think that the end goal of this, hopefully for me, is that I'll be better at my job for having watched something without emotion connected to it. And uh, listen, the whole reason you watch sports is because you don't know what's going to happen. And it makes you feel these irrational feelings that cause you to be clouded and your vision to be clouded in a moment. But I'm, I, I am optimistic that after watching these games and realizing how many things I got wrong in the moment or how many things I had forgotten or how many things seemed so permanent, as you mentioned, as the entire story of the game, which being the one shot at it and forgetting everything else to do with that game other than maybe the Ibaka corner three, that we can get better as analysts or we can get better as, maybe we're not analysts, but as commenters on sports, as opinionists, as people who watch these games, that it's again, a reset for us to say, oh, right, my memory is super, super flawed. (laughs) I forget things all the time. Confirmation bias is extremely, extremely real when we watch these games and you impose what you were expecting onto what you were watching versus what is actually happening. And this Raptors run to me has been just super enlightening from the standpoint of I've watched a lot of games and thought I was wrong about something. I missed something. Wow, this happened and this storyline was way overplayed. This storyline was so underplayed. I've really enjoyed it. I don't know how long we're going to be able to rewatch games and create content off of these ones. But getting back to what you were talking about earlier when it comes to watch parties and streaming services and things... I remember those same conversations too about cannibalization and the fear of, you know, upsetting traditional broadcasters and the loops that you got to go through. I just think that, yeah, one of the things that's going to happen out of this is going to be people need to have more choices. People need to have more options because you outlined there's Netflix and there's all these other things that you have. And if you're going to watch sports, people are going to have to be more creative and more competitive that you simply just can't say, well, this is a live product anymore hey, this is just something that you're accustomed to using because habits could break. If sports end up going on hiatus for, God forbid, six months and the world is a completely different place when we get out of this thing, it's going to have to change the way that we view just the the medium in general and that you're going to see more creative content. You're going to see more on-demand content. You're going to see more live streams. You're going to see more personalities being available in different ways. I just, I think it's the only way for the industry to adapt. Did you feel anything so far, by the way, how many of these Raptors games are you rewatching? Are you just watching the wins? Like what, what's your frequency level with these Raptors games? I'm just watching the ones that we're doing watch parties for, to be quite okay. honest. I don't rewatch movies. Really? The only thing I can rewatch is stand up comedy. That's pretty much it. Can't rewatch games. If I know the outcome, don't care. Can mm-hmm. barely rewatch a movie, but that's like barely. And I could probably count on one hand, the amount of movies that I've rewatched 
in my lifetime. I've obviously really? seen it before. It's it's rap. Can't do it. Oh, I'm the opposite. I love watching. It's so funny too because I love stand up comedy. I would highly recommend Tom Segura's new special, which is just out on Netflix right now for anybody listening to this thing. I went and saw it live, and and now it's there. It's it's phenomenal. But I find it hard to watch stand up over twice because I know the jokes and I know the routine. Whereas with a movie. I feel like rewatching it uh, gives you a greater appreciation again for some of the things you missed, how much you loved a performance, and seeing a story told over again. And I'm sort of feeling the same way for these Raptors games. Like it's part of the reason I wanted to do Raptors rerun was I had always wanted to watch all these Raptors games over again. But in our business, who has the time? I can't imagine trying to pitch to you as the Raptors are in a, in a in a playoff run they're playing regular season games or it's summer and even there's only baseball on television and I'm coming to you and saying Donovan I know you got a young child and your wife and your social life and you're watching all these games and you're writing articles and you're doing everything in the digital studio would you like to rewatch all of these Raptors games I think you would look at me like I had six heads and yeah the social distancing between us would become even more real for some reason I used to rewatch movies when I was a kid but now can't do it stand up for whatever reason i still find funny after the fact but no rewatching games i mean to be honest we did the raptors watch party i barely watched the game other than the shot it was all about interacting with the guests that we had and the other guys from sportsnet that were on the stream Faisal and danielle so um i mean listen if and when this is not weeks but months then i, I might be drawing out of bounds plays on an etch a sketch and rewatching games. But right now, I'm not there yet. Okay. I also wanted to bring up one last thing, and this is why I had top five lists on it. And then we'll wrap this up and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to Kayla Alexander. You have been putting out top five lists like crazy. And you've do, been doing ones at, at like college running backs, everything. You're, you're all over it. You love top five lists. If there's a top five list, you want to participate in it. Your top five all time NBA players goes Michael Jordan. All right. LeBron James, two. Hey, I'm right there with you. Bill Russell, three. Okay, great winner. 11 championships. Player coach from a standpoint of social justice and what he had to go through living in Boston. If you haven't read Bill Russell's biography, I highly, highly recommend it. It's an incredibly powerful story about just an incredible man and an incredible basketball player. Okay, he can be in your top five. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I mean, most points ever. All right, like I can get around that for a long time. People thought most dominant, particularly one of the most underrated players of all time. All right, I can. Steph Curry, five. Steph Curry, five. Is the fifth greatest basketball player who ever lived today. We should just say who has stopped playing because it's tough to put guys in the lists who are continuing to play. But if you notice a theme with the list, mm -hmm. everyone on that list in some way, shape, or form changed the game. And they changed the way the game was played after them. And they changed the way it was approached in either the way teams were built, the way it was marketed, the way offenses were. And so, yeah, Steph Curry, who, you know, has hit over 400 threes in a season when people were thinking 100 threes in a season was was a great feat he's like yeah i'm gonna come around and i'm gonna hit 400. you wouldn't say larry bird earlier was like that like so we're going steph curry over larry bird or that magic johnson didn't invade basketball larry bird was a very good three-point shooter he won the three-point contest he didn't take his warm-up off i get it but larry bird didn't change the way the three-point shot was defensed or or way it, people hunted them there are i'd say 10 players 
who have the green light on anywhere on the floor in the NBA, and that all came from one guy. So the fact that Damian Lillard and Trey Young and all these guys are pulling up from the logo that's coming from Steph, the fact that there's a bunch of guys, and Steph's still leading them, but there's a bunch of guys like Steph and Harden who are taking 10-plus threes in a game. Right. In a game. Tracy Murray was lucky if he got 10 threes up in a week. Same thing for Del Curry. And these are some of the greatest shooters that played at the time. So he totally has changed the way we look at offense. And even as But you're talking about influence and impact. And like I could see the case for that. But you're telling me if I need you need to win one basketball game and it's your your life depends on it. You're gonna take Steph Curry over Tim Duncan. Well, well, there, there's many things. So I'm talking. Yes, I'm. T- <laughs> yes, I'm talking about impact. Yeah. But I'm also talking about accomplishments and records. Two MVPs, the only unanimous MVP, three titles and counting. He could he could get more, but even if he ends at three, that's a nice haul. There's just a short list of people who have all of those things, who checks all of those boxes. And like again, given that he has a skill that doesn't really deteriorate theoretically he could do this for a while but even if we just stopped that right now his impact is massive and listen you could say kobe should be there and yeah okay i get it but kobe is a facsimile of jordan you've already got jordan on the list you're wasting a spot if you say kobe you could say tim duncan but tim duncan is is in some ways you know he's got a little bit of kareem he's got a little bit of bill russell there's other guys who are in that category, who are greater than them. So I just wanted a well-rounded list. The issue I have with the top five list is you put out a topic, top five, let's go, let's get the conversation going. And and I think the top five that people put out is a marker on them themselves, how old they are, what, yeah. what, what they look for in sports, what their personality is like. But when you put out the list, people get so upset and take it so personal. And it's like, dude, what don't you understand about this being one, my opinion, two, an exercise for you to share your opinion, and three, there is no right answer. Like, that is the whole point of the exercise. There's a wrong answer, though, Steph Curry, top five. There's, that's definitely a wrong answer. Well, who's, <laughs> who's your top five, tough guy? I would 100% have your same top two. Like, I think that Jordan and LeBron are 1A, 1B, and that those conversations should happen from now until the rest of time. I don't think there is a case against having Wilt Chamberlain in the top five, just because even if we're not looking at the winning, just the statistical dominance of the player in his era, just to me, makes it unassailable that he's there. I would also, I would be debating basically between those last few spots between Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal, and dare I say Kevin Durant? Like, I, that's my thing too, my Ke- biggest what? issue. Yeah, Kevin my biggest Durant. issue. Oh, yeah. Kevin you Durant? Think, yeah, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. So, so you let, think let's, that Steph Curry is a greater basketball player than KD? I think he's going to have a greater career, certainly. Mm. Than, listen, KD might never make another finals again. I, I would actually bet money that he's probably not going to make another finals again. I mean, if you're a believer in the Brooklyn Nets who currently have no coach and their point guard is the NBA's version of the Fire Festival, then sure. But Kevin Durant would not be in this conversation if he didn't join and play with Steph Curry. But so, so even his team the, almost the, won. His team almost beat the Warriors. I would just say that, like, what do you want to say? Do you want to just throw lists of guys who almost won championships? But like, what does it say Charles about Charles Barkley Steph Curry? almost won a championship. He's not, he's not close to this conversation. 
Carl Malone almost won a championship. Yeah. He, he, and he's going to have better counting numbers than Kevin Durant. He's not on this yep. list. So you would acknowledge you have to win to even be in this conversation in the first place. The reason why I think those Golden State teams won the last two championships they did, and the proof is in the pudding with who was finals MVP, it was because they got Kevin Durant to jump on board. They got KD. He's what put them over the top. He's the one that in, in game three is stepping up and pulling up and stealing Cleveland's heart and ripping the heart out in front of them. But the list is not in isolation in any given season who was the best player. And like, that's a different list. We could do that list, but it's who had the best impact over the course of their career. Thus, who were the greatest players? And I just think if we stopped counting right now or continue to count, whichever metric you prefer, I just don't think you could say what Kevin Durant has accomplished is by far greater than what Steph Curry accomplished. Steph Curry, I mean, mind you, he was there longer, but he, he only has one a, fewer he, ring. He has, he has, who has one fewer ring? KD. Right. But, but all of the rings he has were with Steph Curry. But two of the rings Steph Curry has is with him. He only has one independent of him and he was with Clay Thompson and Draymond. Like this season going into it, when the Warriors were supposed to have a, a healthy Steph Curry, right? And this is actually one of the, the real shames of the season is that we never got to really see it play out because Steph Curry got hurt. But the Warriors were getting blown out early in these games with Steph Curry as their best player. Like, I think that he is an incredible basketball player. But to me, it's a sport about individuals and individual dominance. And like, if we're looking at wins, like, guess what? Shaquille O'Neal has more championships than Steph Curry does. Tim Duncan has more championships. Tim Duncan did it for what, 20, like 19 years? Like, if we're going to say that if the clock stops now, then yeah, give me the guy with five championships and finals MVPs and rings against LeBron James and dominated was the best team of an entire era that did have Shaq and Kobe in it. That was the better player than Kobe Bryant. Like it's just, it's hard for me to look at it and say, Steph Curry did win championships. He does have MVPs. He did win yeah. championships over LeBron James. Like he just has the one MVP. Steph Curry has two. He has two MVPs. Yes. He won MVP back to back years. And one of them was unanimous. Like, that's what I, I'm saying. I remember He's, him being first unanimous. I, I thought he only had the one MVP, but I, I probably have that wrong. You would know better than, than I would. Um, we, listen, this is why the conversation is a great one, because there is, there is no uh, right answer. But I think even when you look at Magic and Larry and look at their accomplishments, and then you, look, you stack it up and compare them to Steph's, like, he, I, I think Steph is ahead of them. Mm. Yeah, agree to disagree. <laughs> agree to disagree. I'll take Kobe's rings. I'll take Shaq's rings. I'll take TD's rings. I'll take those guys. And the fact that Kobe got robbed of an MVP and Shaq also got robbed of an MVP, but still got him. Um, I love that, though. You know what? I, it makes me feel good that we're back in a routine of still discussing the greatness of Steph Curry. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. And our next guest on the podcast is much busier in normal times than myself and JD. So 
I wonder how she's dealing with the social distancing. She is an illustrator, an author, a public speaker. Uh, the Magic of Basketball, her children's book, is probably in high demand right now as people are trying to teach their children. But unfortunately, basketball players aren't in high demand, and that is her main gig. She represents Canada, but she won't be going to the Olympics at least this summer. Kayla Alexander, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm doing okay. Just trying to hang in there and be as positive as possible with everything that's going on. Well, first things first, for you personally, how's your family and was there, I guess, a moment or a happening where you realized, okay, like this is different. Like this is next level and this is much more serious than you first thought. Oh yeah. I So originally before everything got shut down, I was in Poland playing for a team. And I had actually been brought in like right after our Olympic qualifier to help them during their playoff run. So, and to help them end the season well, and then for playoffs. So once I was in Poland and we were hearing the updates about what was going on in the world, in Poland, they're talking about maybe shortening the playoff format, making it shorter so that it could go faster so people can go home. And then they're following along with the news. And the next thing I hear, the NBA shutting down their season. And then I knew it was serious from the NCAA when they just canceled all spring sports and stopped like that March Madness. Because, you know, everybody loves March Madness. As soon as that was shut down, I think it was like the next day they shut down our season. They're like, okay, we're done. Everybody go home. Um, So that's for me when it became like real. Like this is a lot more serious than everybody thought it was. But at that point, you still had the Olympics to look forward to. And like the NCAA, the IOC loves them some money. So they weren't going to cancel or postpone unless they had to, but the first shoe to drop was Canada pulling its athletes out. When you heard that news originally, what was your first thought? I was heartbroken. For me, this would have been my first Olympics, and with my story, it's been a journey to earn a spot on the team, make the team, overcome injuries. So to finally overcome all of those obstacles, make the team, help the team qualify for their third straight Olympics, and then you think you finally made your dream come true. And then you get a text from a friend saying, I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry for what? And they're like, Canada's not going to the Olympics. And I was like, you're lying. And then I opened up the article and then I was heartbroken. But at the same time, I understood the reason why. Like, I feel like the safety of and the health of everybody should always come first. Um, but I was definitely heartbroken about it. Well, it sounds like you were pretty blindsided too, right? Because this thing happens so fast. Everything just all of a sudden mobilizes quickly. What was the communication like with Canada basketballs afterwards? Like, were you guys guaranteed spots moving forward what's what's the process been in terms of how the team is going to operate when everybody was expected to be moving forward into the summer so with respect to the team we all were able to get on a phone call the i or the canadian Olympic committee also held a phone call too for all the athletes so we can get in and listen for the reasonings which i agree with um and why they decided to postpone so my understanding is everybody who's already qualified for the olympics will keep their qualification like they'll still be to go for the olympics and then once safe or once sports are safe again i'm sure they'll start scheduling and figuring out how people can start qualifying for the remaining spots um but as of right now the goal is for our team to be playing in olympics at tokyo in 2021 so next summer yeah so the team holds their qualification spot but it'll be interesting to see depending on availability if the rosters of different nations look different a year from now The other thing that's up in the air for you as we look forward to 2021 is 
what does that mean for not just the NBA? What does that mean for the WNBA? What does that mean for professional women's basketball around the world? Is everyone saying, oh, the NHL and the NBA, they can play throughout the summer. Were those buildings, most of those dates often go to not just concerts, but WNBA games. We've heard that the training camps have been postponed. But what are your thoughts on what this could do to impact the WNBA where the profit margins aren't as high as they are in the NBA? Yeah, so that's a lot too. Yeah, we're just finding out that the beginning of the season was postponed. Honestly, it was inevitable, I think, with the way things are playing out right now, especially south of the border um, in the U.S. So I know that they're just trying to take precautions, and I know that they want us to be back, and I'm sure we will be when it's safe to do so. With respect to people talking about the NBA playing in the summer and coming back, honestly, it makes the whole situation complicated. I don't want to get too much into it, give my opinion, but yeah, I'm not going to say too much, but all I'm going to say is that I feel for the people, for the NBA, the WNBA, all the people involved who have to figure out the scheduling and um, trying to figure out when it's safe to bring sports back, how they're going to do that, how they're going to um, schedule NBA, WNBA. So it's going to be a lot to deal with. So I, my heart goes out to them. Yeah, even when we started talking to you today and you just mentioned that, you know, you're hanging in there. That's the way that you yeah. put it. It's like, because it's so much, right? It's just, yes. it's so much to think about. And you try to compartmentalize things into, okay, well, I'm just going to deal with this today. And then your mind starts to wander and you think about 20 other things. And I think that, yeah, it's probably especially complicated as an athlete because, yeah, you're trying to stay in shape. You're trying to stay ready. You're probably trying not to lose the momentum that you were building up. You're worrying about what career possibilities are going to be or travel implications are going to be in the future. It's just a lot. So it's not surprising that you're probably going to feel overwhelmed right now. I just I, two two quick ones, all kind of both in one is when you did mention that the Polish league shuts down, do they end up paying you guys out? And what was it like just getting out of there in general in terms of getting flights and everything accommodated? Was it pretty hectic? Okay, so usually when you're with a team, though, you just tell them like what day you want to leave. If you want to leave sometime in the morning, afternoon, and then they'll usually book your flight for you, and then you just go on your flight and go. Uh, so I gave them my time. We all did. And then I texted them, I think about the day, a day later, and I was like, um, so how's it going? Flight's going well? And they're like, nope. And I was like, what? And they said they are overwhelmed right now, the travel agency. So I guess it's an agency that many people use. And they said, for this case, it'd probably just be easier if you were to book your own tickets right now, and then we'll reimburse you later. So that's what me and a lot of my teammates ended up doing, just to make life easier for ourselves to get out in time before they were shutting down and closing down borders. And then as far as payment, so they honored our bonuses the month of, I think, March. And then for April, we made an agreement based on how much we'd get because since we weren't actually playing and this is an act of God, we still got paid, but I think we, we came to an agreement that was fair on both sides. So how has social distancing and, and being, you know, quarantined after traveling, how's that impacted your ability to train now that abruptly you're in your off season, the time when most players are trying to get better? Right. I know there's much bigger issues in the world, bigger problems that people are dealing with. But when it's something that you're used to, and for me personally, that part was just really frustrating. Um, so we're in Canada, and it's kind of cold outside, so I was trying to do all these at-home workouts. Thankfully, our trainer with Canada Basketball, she's been great. She's been sending us uh, different workouts we can do based on the equipment we have or what we don't have, trying to get creative. Um, they even sent us a little care package with like some bands, skip rope, different things that we could use. 
Um, so I'm very thankful for that. But it's been frustrating because it's like you want to go hard and you're used to performing at a certain level and sweating, sweating at a certain level and running at a certain level. And you can't do that, especially for the first two weeks when you go home because you're supposed to stay away from people and stay inside. So that was kind of hard, but made it work, got creative, did a lot of uh, workouts in my um, parents' uh, family room. And then when my time was up, it was nice to finally just go outside and run and just get that fresh air, get my heart rate up. So I'm trying to stay positive and just try to be creative and try to keep moving. I think that's the one thing that I actually look forward to every day is the ability to at least get a little bit of a sweat in. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to make the best of it. That's all you can do at this time right now. I'm the opposite. I feel forced oh. to go outside because I'm like, okay, you got to go outside one time a day to exercise. And when I'm doing, I'm like, I hate this so much. I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Let's get this over with. All right, it's done. And yeah, so you go from ramping up for this dream, right? And you're trying to get in probably the best shape of your life. You're probably trying to peak at the right time. How does it change just in terms of this target date, this summer, the way that you were approaching these games that you feel like maybe you're losing some momentum from it? Oh, definitely. Um, even just that ability, like usually I would still be at least be able to work on some skill stuff, like against a body, just work on different things. I can't even do that right now. I wanted to even shoot outside and I went to the neighborhood in our area that had like an outdoor court and they took down the rim and the nets. Like they were not playing around. They don't want anybody out there. So I was like, okay, got to try and find other ways to get creative. So, um, it's hard. And I think the worst part is just not knowing when, like trying to stay ready. But usually you have like an end date or end goal. It's like, okay, I know on this date, this is when training camp starts and I'm going to be ready for that. I know on this date, this is the the Olympic opening. This is when we're going to start playing games. So right now it kind of feels like you're in limbo and you don't know, like you're trying to stay ready, but it's also like, I don't know when, like when is going to be the moment that it's like, okay, go time. Like you can start playing again. So that part's kind of weird too. Well, here's the other dynamic in terms of not knowing when you don't know whenever that time is what it's going to be like in the community, in the rest of the world. Exactly. If the Olympics were going to go ahead this July, how comfortable were you feeling traveling to the Far East to compete in the Games? Honestly, I, in my head, believed that the IOC was going to make the right decision and that they would have kept it going on if they felt it was safe. So if they knew it was going to be a safe environment, then I would have gone, personally. Um, if they could say like, okay, it's safe, like it's not contagious, but if they were unsure, um, I don't think it's ris uh, worth risking your, my health and potentially like the health of my parents, my friends, my family, who I would come into contact with as well too. So it would have been based off of the safety levels and like whether they said it was healthy or not and safe to go. If the entire season, let's say worst case scenario, is canceled, how would that set you back as an athlete? I know how I feel, and I'm sure some athletes, especially ball players, can relate to this with me. If it's canceled, it's also going to depend on the environment outside too, though. Like whether they say, okay, it's safe to start gathering groups of 10 or 15 or 20 again. Because for basketball, it's one thing to like run on the treadmill, run outside, do little workouts. Playing ball and training are two different things. Like when you play a basketball game, like the the speed, the physicality, it's hard to train that if you're not actually playing in my opinion. So like you still always do things to try and prepare yourself, but to get into game shape, you got to play ball. So if you can't play ball, I feel like some of us will try and be in decent shape. I don't think we'll be in like our peak play at your highest level game shape. Yeah. I'm sorry that 
we are talking to you today in some part because I feel like it's just so doom and gloom. We're like, hey, what's up? What happens if you don't get to play basketball ever again? You're like, well, it no, suck. no, no, it's not yeah, going to be ever again. Like, I know. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go just there. Like, just, just in this so moment in time right now. <laughs> it's like maybe the season will be canceled. You're right. The indefinite part is just so brutal. It's so much harder to deal with it mentally. But Donovan and I were talking earlier on the podcast about it feels like now maybe a little different for you because you had to do the travel and you still had to accept the changes to the Olympic schedule. All those things happen later. But I've found that now that being close to a month into this thing, that I'm starting to settle into a bit more of a routine and I'm, I'm starting to understand things a little bit better and feeling a little bit more optimistic. And and Donovan mentioned it when he set you up today, like you're an author, you have a lot of other side projects. You're not just an athlete, right? Like this isn't the only thing that you focus on. Do you think there's going to come a time where you start kind of focusing on other tasks where you're able to kind of accept a little bit more that the Olympics aren't happening right now and maybe it gives you some time and space to accomplish one of the projects that you haven't gotten around to already? Um, so that's that's a good thought. When I first got back, I was really motivated because I was like, okay, we're, I'm stuck for two weeks. That's fine. I have other things I can do. I started working. I was working already on like my future books, which I'm hoping to eventually write and like published. So I was working on those. I was feeling really inspired and motivated. I was like, oh, this is a piece of cake. It, it'll be fine. But then reality kind of hit into where it's like, because I think in that the first two weeks too, uh, there's still the hopes of the Olympics. And then when that got canceled, still the hope of like the W. And then it kept just going on and on and on. And if I'm being honest, like usually I'm a, I'm a pretty like positive person. I try to always stay positive, be uplift, upbeat and just think for the best for the future, but not knowing it kind of takes that. Like for me, I felt like some of my like motivation and my inspiration was kind of like evaporated. Like I don't have it right now. So I'm just trying to find ways to get it back. And with the weather getting nicer outside, getting fresh air, going outside for workouts, I think that's helped a bit. But when it comes to like other tasks and projects, like I have like a list of things that I want to do, but lately I don't know why I just haven't been inspired or motivated to do it. I'm just being real. I'm just trying to wait for that motivation to come back because I have It'll things come. that I want to work out. Just waiting for that motivation and inspiration again versus trying to force it because that thing's it's not good when you're forcing it. So, well, let's end on a positive note and maybe can be some motivation. Uh, there was some good news in women's basketball this offseason, not just the fact that Canada's national team qualified and was heading to the Olympics, but the WNBA and the WNBA PA secured a new CBA, which in it tailed that the the ladies playing secured the bag. Like you guys did really, really well for yourselves. There's still room to improve and to, to grow, but leaps and bounds from where we were just a, a couple years ago, knowing that you can actually be in North America, stay and be more of a professional now, whenever basketball starts again, what's that like for you? Oh, that was definitely a big win for not just for the girls and the women of the WNBA, but for, I think, women around, like all women, because I think it shows that we're moving in the right direction and other people and other organizations will start to take a suit to and follow along. But yeah, it definitely makes a huge difference. I think some people don't realize that a lot of the women who play in the W, many of us um, go overseas because we want to supplement our income or we have longer seasons overseas and we weren't always getting the pay um, to the pay just wasn't um, as great as we were making overseas. And now um, a lot of the pay in the WNBA is comparable to overseas now, which is amazing. I think it's great for people who just want to stay in the States and play with in front of their family and their friends. Also, from an athlete's perspective, it allows us time to rest our bodies. Because when you're playing 
in the W and then overseas, you're literally playing like 12 months out of the year. Like you don't really get an off season. So I think this allow us as athletes to have an off season to heal. Hopefully this will cut down on injuries. And then there are just so many other aspects of the CBA too that was really great with respect to providing for like mothers, providing care for their children. There are just so many great things. So I think it's just a positive step in the right direction, not just for our league, but for women everywhere. Because I'm hoping that others will follow along with it as well. And it'll permeate through society. Yeah, it's good that basketball was once again a leader and you were one of yes. the many voices, um, you know, leading the charge. So so kudos to you. I need you to lead us in one more way before we let you go. Has there been something since you've been, you know, at home, you know, social distancing and sports have been on pause that you've binge watched or consumed? Give us something that we can add to our list. Okay, so... I didn't binge watch it here. I binge watched it when I was in Poland. Have you guys heard of that new Netflix show, Love is Blind? Oh, I have heard I mean, of it. I have not course. seen it, but this is like probably Donovan's wheelhouse. Kayla, don't offend don't me, but have I heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a little story. So I watched it in Poland, and back then when it was being released, it was only like four episodes at a time, so you had to wait. So I'm home now. I think it was like two days ago. I was telling my mom about it. So we started watching it one night around like eight o'clock. And then it kept getting later and later. I was like, okay, mom, it'll be there tomorrow. Let's, you can watch it tomorrow. She's like, just one more episode, one more episode. I promise you, I woke up the next morning. She had finished it. Like literally binge watched the whole series. I was like, mom. And she's like, I couldn't stop. It was so good. So before it, I'm with her on that, if it wasn't episode by episode, I probably would have been watched it the whole day in uh, Poland as well. Before you judge it, I feel, I think it's a cool concept. Do you guys are familiar with like the concept of the show? Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it's Donovan's. I think it's his favorite thing. Like, you're, okay. is it Donovan? Is it already one of your ten favorite shows of all time? Oh, Mama Alexander is one of my ten favorite people of all time at this point. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. See, I love the concepts. I feel like if you want to have a true connection with somebody, you have to get to know them for who they are, and you can't let all the outside things, like how they look, all that stuff, be the like the deciding factor for you. Um, I just wish the timeline was longer, like six weeks. To say I do, that's a little too short for me. Like, I need to know you longer. But I thought it was a cool concept. So if you haven't watched it, to you guys out there listening, I think you guys should check it out. I thought you were going to recommend some Polish show. Like, you're like, oh. you guys don't know. Lokla uh, <laughs> is just like, it's amazing. It's this Polish cop show. You got to see it. And I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the subtitles. No, Love sorry to blind. disappoint. Do you have a recommendation for me? Because I haven't really been on Netflix that much lately. JD, go ahead. Listen, I'm a, I'm a little more, more snotty with uh, okay. with with my Netflix shows. I told Donovan already. I really really loved Tom Segura's new special. It's called Ball Hog. It's on Netflix right now. If you love stand up, you're definitely gonna like that. That'd be my number one recommendation right now, Netflix wise. So Ball Hog. Yep, Netflix. Okay. Tom Segura. Right, I'll check that out. You'll laugh. I, I mean, I was late to this, so I can't really say you got to go out and watch it. I I crushed Succession during this. So uh, good quarantine period which is good i mean tiger king is just a phenomenon like no other so definitely that on netflix but quiet is kept the hillary clinton doc or, or doc series on netflix very very good very good she's very polarizing but i think you get a window into her mentality if you watch it and the production was outstanding so those would be my three the other one that i would suggest 
would be The Magic of Basketball, which you can find on Amazon right now with hey. illustrations by Kayla Alexander <laughs> and written by Kayla Alexander. And it sounds like she's going to have some more books on the way now that she's got a little bit less time to get up shots and a little bit more time to get in some writing and get some pages down. But thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, this is a nice break or uh, escape from everything during the day. And I wish you guys uh, good health, stay healthy, stay safe, and I'll be tuning in. Thanks again to Kayla Alexander. She was great. Loved hearing from her. Stay tuned for some more content from her. Uh, as always, you can subscribe on iTunes. We're on Spotify now. Big, big news for all the people that have been bugging us forever and we've been trying to get it to you. So if you subscribe on Spotify, if you use Spotify, free association will be there moving forward. So big hip hip hooray to that. Thank you to all the associates and we'll catch you next week. Peace.